Charles Finney, one of the evangelists of the Second Great Awakening and regarded by some as one of the greatest revival evangelists since the days of the apostles. It was said of Finney that when he preached, I quote, his words weren't vehement, fierce, or noisy. They were solemn, massive, weighty, cutting, piercing, and sharper than a two-edged sword. His manner of preaching was likened to a contemporary of his time of whom it was said of him. He scarce ever preached a sermon, but some or other of his congregation were struck with great distress and cried out in agony, what shall I do to be saved? He was known as a revivalist. He spoke and lectured and preached often concerning the need for revival. Here's a few things Charles Finney said about revival. He said it is the renewal of the first love of Christians, resulting in the awakening and conversion of sinners to God. In the popular sense, a revival in the community is the arousing, quickening, and reclaiming of the more or less backslidden church and the more or less general awakening of all classes and ensuring attention to the claims of God. He goes on, it presupposes that the church is sunk down in a backslidden state and a revival consists in the return of a church from her backslidings and in the conversion of sinners. He said a revival always includes conviction of sin on the part of the church. Backslidden Christians cannot wake up and begin right away in the service of God without deep searching of the heart. He said the fountains of sin need to be broken up. In a true revival, Christians are always brought under such convictions. They see their sins in such a light that often they find it impossible to maintain a hope of their acceptance with God. It does not always go to that extent, he said. But in a genuine revival, there were always deep convictions of sin. Backslidden Christians will be brought to repentance. Revival is nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. Just as in the case of a converted sinner, the first step is a deep repentance, a breaking down of the heart, a getting down into the dust in deep humility before God and forsaking sin. He says further, a revival breaks the power of the world and of sin over Christians. It brings them to such a vantage ground that they get a fresh impulse toward heaven they have a new foretaste of heaven and new desires after union with God and the charm of this world is broken and the power of sin overcome and after saying all that Finney ended one of his lectures on revival with these questions to his hearers He said, what do you come to hear lectures on revival for? Do you mean that whenever you are convinced that your duty is in promoting revival, you will go to work and practice it? 
Will you follow the instructions I will give you from the word of God and put them in practice in your own lives? Will you bring them to bear upon your families and your acquaintances, your neighbors, and through the city? Or will you spend the winter learning about revival and do nothing for them? Second Kings chapter 22, I'm taking my text today, verse 11 says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Atmor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that's been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that's kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So, Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Atbor, and Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Horus, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem. And they talked with the prophetess. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, say this to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words that you've heard. Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Eighteen years old. Think about this. Eighteen years of age. Josiah, here's the word of God read. For the first time in his entire life. He'd grown up in Judah. He lived with such an incredible ancestry. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Sitting on the throne of David. But 18 years that he'd never heard the word of God. And the very first time he heard it, he tore his clothes. He couldn't help but find a place of repentance. How many times have we heard the word of God? By the time most of us were 18, 
I'll speak for myself. I'd heard the word of the Lord read thousands of times. I'd heard preachers preach the word of God hundreds of times. I had heard dozens upon dozens of Sunday school lessons. The word of God taught to me. And yet Josiah heard it once in 18 years. And it shook him to his very core. And immediately he tore his clothes. A sign of mourning and grief and guilt and sorrow. When he heard what was in that book of the law, when he heard what was written in that book of the covenant, his 18-year-old ears, something got down in his heart and he could not go on. His world stopped. Nothing else was important. Nothing else mattered. The word of the Lord struck deep inside his being tore his clothes and then he called his closest advisors and he said guys this is horrible you realize what's about to happen please I don't even know what to do I don't even know if I can pray to God myself go find somebody to call on God for me and he sent five of his closest advisors to the prophetess tell you God will speak it, it was some of you ladies here who feel called to preach you feel a lot of pressure that you don't know if it can happen because of the climate of our world let me tell you when everything got bad in Judah it was a woman that spoke up anointed by God said you tell the man of God this they went and they asked this prophetess and she said immediately, you tell the king this. And they brought this word back to the king that Judah's going to go off into captivity. Judah's going to be destroyed. But you, because you turned your heart towards God and you repented and you found the place of, 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 of humility before God, these will not come upon you. And what I find interesting is that when they brought word back to the king of what the prophet has said, Josiah didn't just, oh, okay. I, I get it, okay. Well, let's just go on with life. He didn't just mull things over. He didn't just sit on his throne for a while and think about it, write in his journal and think, oh, okay, well, I see what's going to happen. Let's just go on with life. But before I tell you what he did do, let me give you a picture of what Judah was like at this particular time. The house of the Lord in Judah, Jerusalem, the temple. If you were during Josiah's time, would walk in the temple of the Lord, you would notice right away beautiful vessels lining the walls and on the shelves and around the temple. Vessels that had been made to worship Baal. Vessels that had been made to worship the sun and the moon and the stars and all the heavenly bodies. You would have noticed an Asherah pole 
Possibly, they say, a tree that was used in pagan worship. You would notice an Asherah pole sitting there in the house of the Lord. You'd probably bump into several male cult prostitutes that were in God's house. Waiting because of this Canaanite ritual prostitution, this fertility religion that had made its way into the house of God. Men just waiting. You would see women who had made tapestries to these gods, hanging them around the house of the Lord. Right outside the door, you would see horses tied up outside the doors of the house of the Lord. These horses that had been dedicated to the sun, which was an Assyrian custom. Also chariots lining the road. You would see just outside of the two courts of the house of God, you would see altars that had been erected by former king Manasseh that sat there in those courts. Altars to pagan gods. That's what you'd have found when you went to church in Josiah's day. Then outside there, there were the high places. These were places originally set up to worship Yahweh. But they had been set up to make worship a little more convenient. You didn't have to come to Jerusalem to worship. You could just go outside down the road in your local town. There was a high place set up. You could worship Yahweh. But because it wasn't set up to worship God's way, it was easily twisted and defiled to become a place where cultic worship and pagan practices practice here on these high places you would see priests offering sacrifices to Baal to the sun the moon the stars the host of heaven there were high places set up at the gates of the entrances to all the cities making pagan worship accessible and visible everybody that came in the city would see a high place high places that had been set up by King Solomon on what we know today is the Mount of Olives but in this time it would have been known as the Mount of Corruption because there were pagan altars to Ashtaroth or Venus, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the goddess or the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. There were high places where altars were set up by King Jeroboam at Bethel. Bethel, where the patriarchs had received word from God, where Jacob had come face to face with God. King Jeroboam had desecrated where God had been, the very house of God, and had set up golden calves. People were now worshiping golden idols. There were altars on the roof of the upper chamber where King Ahaz had lived, and it was altars set up there on his roof to worship the stars. In the valley of Hinnom, there was Topheth, where people burned their sons and daughters, offering them to Molech, the god of the Ammonites. There were mediums and necromancers, the Bible calls them. These people who talked to the dead. Psychics all over Judah. And then there were just numerous household gods and idols. This was the climate into which Joshua, Josiah was born and ultimately took the throne as king at eight years of age. It couldn't have been more ungodly. It couldn't have been more pagan. 
It couldn't have been more occultic. It couldn't have been more far from God. And yet in the midst of all the evil, Josiah heard God's word one time. And fell to his knees. He didn't have Sunday school to tell him what should be. He didn't have a preacher every week reminding him, Josiah, get your heart right. Josiah, get your face in the Word of God. Josiah, you need to live for God. Josiah, don't, don't run around with the wrong people. Just He didn't have that. 18 years of age. Heard God's Word one time. Tore his clothes. Got to hear from God for myself. That was the climax. So when they came back and told Josiah what the prophetess had said, Josiah gathered all the elders of Jerusalem, all the elders of Judah gathered him to him, and they went up to the house of the Lord where there were male prostitutes and where there were horses that had been dedicated to the sun and where there was Asherah poles and where there were tapestries to Canaanite gods and, and where everything, he brought them all to the house of God. The Bible says, he read in their hearing all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the people, both small and great, the king read the book that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king got done reading the book, and he went and stood by a pillar. And he made a promise to God. Because of what I've read, this was now the second time he's read it. And it still had the same effect on him. He said, God, I promise you, I make a covenant before you to walk after you, follow after you. And I make a covenant to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes with all my heart and with all my soul. He must have read, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. And he said, God, I promise I make a covenant to do what's in this book. Not just to walk after you. Not just to keep commandments, but to do what's in this book. And all the people heard him read the word. All the people heard him make this promise. And the Bible says all the people joined in the covenant. Yes, king, that's what we want to. And then Josiah got up from the altar. Service was ended. And he and his friends went out to eat. Feeling good about the commitment they had made that service. Continuing to live the way they'd always lived. 
At least he made some good promises to God. Go watch the recorded live stream from time to time whenever he starts to struggle again. No. That's not what he did. Josiah didn't hear the great preaching and then go on with his life after praying in the altar until he felt better. But a true revival of spiritual leadership erupted in Judah. Josiah made a covenant with God or to God and with the people. And then he knew it had to be done. He went, turned around, went in the house of God. They pulled out all the vessels that were for Baal and for the sun and for the moon. He took them outside Jerusalem and burned them in the fields of Kidron. And he took the ashes to Bethel because Bethel had been defiled too. And he scattered the ashes over Bethel. He removed all the priests from their duties, those who had offered sacrifice on the high places. That Asherah pole that was in the house of the Lord, he took it out. He burned it. And then he beat it to ashes. He burned all the homes of the male prostitutes. Removed them from the house of God. And all the women who wove tapestries for Asherah. Took them out of the house of God. He defiled and tore down the high places at the gates of the cities. No longer would people walk in this city. If the first thing they're going to see an altar to a cultic or a pagan god. Then he went up to Topheth and all the altars where the kids had been sacrificed to Molech. And he burned the altars and he tore down the altars and he broke them to pieces. And he took away the horses that burned and burned the chariots and sat outside of God's house. And he pulled down the pagan altars on the roof set up by King Ahab. And he pulled down and destroyed the altars that Manasseh had set up in the courts of God's house. And then Josiah did something that every other king could not do. He even touched the stuff that revered King Solomon had set up. Somebody, some people get really get really caught up in their revival and they go do things, but then they stop short because there's things that are revered. There's things that we just can't touch and there's things we can't do away with, but not Josiah. He was so caught up in what God was doing. He didn't care. It was King Solomon that set it up. He went up and defiled the altars in the high places. He broke them in pieces. He pulled down, he burned, and reduced the dust, the altars, the high places King Jeroboam had set up. He removed all the shrines of the high places in the city of Samaria. He got rid of all the medians and psychics and, and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations. He knew it doesn't stop at an altar call. It doesn't stop at making a covenant. It doesn't stop at making a promise. There's some things we've got to follow up and do. There's some reforms i got to get in my life. There's some things, there's some choices, decisions I've got to make. And the word of the Lord sparked revival. This musician has come. It's God's word. I know this is heavy today. But first and foremost, we need God's word on your lips. When we get off, off path and off, off things in our lives, it's because 
we're not in God's word. Because if we get in God's word, it's going to do to us what it did to Josiah. And we're not just getting in God's word in classes. We got to get in God's word when we're not being told to read it and discuss it in groups. It's got to get down in our hearts. We need to read it and pray over it and teach it and preach it and memorize it and meditate on it. You know, I've said this three or four times already, but Josiah responded in repentance and reform the first time he heard the word. We've heard it hundreds, some maybe even thousands of times. And we're not revived. So what will we do? We need revival. And revival's got to start with us. Yes, when revival's fires begin burning, it will reach people who are not saved and it will draw people in who are not saved. And revival does involve the saving of lost souls, but revival has to first start with us. So what will we do? I'd like us to listen in one more time. the early late 18th, early 19th century preacher Charles Finney who declared sometimes Christians don't seem to mind anything about the wickedness around them or if they talk about it it's a cold, callous and unfeeling way as if they had given up hope of a reformation they're disposed to scold at sinners, but not feel the compassion of the Son of God for them. However, sometimes the conduct of the wicked drives Christians to prayer, breaks them down, and makes them sorrowful and tenderhearted so that they weep day and night. Then instead of scolding, and reproaching sinners, they pray earnestly for them. He said, that's when you may expect revival. Indeed, that is when revival begins already. When this drives Christians to their knees in strong crying, tears, and prayers to God, you can be certain there's going to be a revival. The prevalence of wickedness is not evidence that there's not going to be revival. That's often God's time to work. So as only Charles Finney can say, let hell boil over if it will and spew out as many devils as there are stones in the pavements if it only drives Christians to God in prayer. Because they cannot hinder a revival. He said, let Satan get up a row and sound his horn as loud as he pleases. If Christians will only be humbled and pray, 
they shall soon see God's naked arm in an outpouring of revival. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I come not preaching my will today, but preaching the word of God. There is something deep God wants to do inside your heart and life. I understand and I know there are some of you here today sitting not stirred. And I wish I could reach you. And I will keep trying as long as I have the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit on a weekly basis. But there are some here God is speaking to you. And Josiah, you've heard the word of the Lord. It's time to respond in repentance and reform. So I'm calling somebody here today, the next few minutes that we have. You can come to this altar. You can kneel where you are. But I want us to find a place. And I want us to bear our hearts before God. And I want the Spirit to search this today. Oh, Lord, revive me, oh God. 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 What have I allowed in the house of God of my life? What have I allowed in the high places of the landscape of my life? What altars have I erected to gods who are not the one true God? What have I allowed in me that should not be there? Oh, God, revive me. Stir me. Move in me. Let your word always get down deep inside of me. Let your word always challenge me. Let your word always stir me. Let me not become so familiar to your word that it does not touch me like it should. Oh, God, let the truth of your word get down deep in my spirit, get down deep in my soul. Oh, God, I want to be a man of God, a woman of God. I want to be a child of God. I want to be a spiritual leader that, that speaks what is true and lives what is true. Oh, God, let revival hit our campus. Let revival hit our dorms. Let revival hit every young man and young woman under the sound of my voice. Let revival be birthed and erupt in our midst in the name of Jesus so that everywhere we go, the power of God goes before us. Every word we speak, the power of God speaks through us. Oh, God, revive us, revive us, revive us, revive us. Revive us.